Oh, well, good morning, everyone. Oh, it's been such a great morning. We've uh, First service, we had a number of families dedicating their kids uh, to Jesus. And as the, these families made a commitment this morning to, uh, to dedicate their lives and their family towards loving, serving, and going after and following Jesus. And then second service, amazing. We get to baptize again two people who are saying, I'm committed to following Jesus and going after Jesus with all of my life. And so it's a beautiful thing to be able to have been doing these things together as a family. And it's actually that uh, I, I do want to focus in this morning, the, the few moments that we have together on a, a passage of Scripture, uh, Luke 15. So if you've got your Bibles, you can pull, uh, pull them out and, and turn to Luke 15. Um, because I want to help us uh, grasp what this morning we've been going after together, that ultimately we uh, are pursuing a, a commitment and a dedication and a relationship with Father God. And that's the theme that's been coming through all this morning. And so I want to pull out some scriptures that help us cement um, who it is that we uh, go after, who it is that we're connected to in relationship and what he's like and in such a way that we can we can commit our lives to loving him, to uh, pursuing him, to being restored and connected to this amazing Father God. How many of you uh, this weekend were immersed in the royal wedding? Yes. How many of you, anyone have any street parties? Anyone have any gatherings around at your house to sit and watch two people just get married? That's all it was, really. Right? So here's the thing. So if you were to take away all the horse and carts, all of the celebrities, all of the songs, all of the the pomp and ceremony, all the incredible preaching. How many of you appreciate the preaching yesterday? Amazing. If you were to take all that away and strip it all away, what do we really have? We have two people who know each other really well and know each other well enough to say, I will or I do. You know, the reality was is that yesterday what happened is two individuals, two human beings got before a whole group of people and got before God and made some declarations of their commitment to one another. And they could do that because they'd been on a journey together um, to know each other and be confident in each other that they could stand in front of one another and make commitments to one another because they knew each other. Right? So if we strip all of the beautiful pomp and ceremony away, what we had was, was one person making a dedicated commitment to another and vice versa. And the beautiful thing about this morning is, is that we've seen families, we've seen individuals make their commitment, their dedication, their public declaration of their commitment to follow Jesus. Their public declaration to be connected in relationship to Father God. And the beautiful thing for us is that we get to discover and know and have an assurance of who God is. So much like in a marriage relationship with two people stood next to each other who can say, I will or I do to one another because they know what that other person is really like. I want to this morning highlight again to you in, in very simplest terms who God really is. And that actually that we have a, an opportunity to be in relationship with a good, good father. And it's in who he is and his character and nature that gives us confidence to stand before him and say, I can trust my life to you. I can come into relationship with you. I can experience the love that you have for me. So in Luke 15, it might be a familiar story to you, but it's a story of the prodigal son. 
That's what it's often called. But actually, the story is less about a prodigal son and it's really about an amazing, incredible father. And it's in these verses that we get to look headlong into a reality of who God is and from that place be able to say, do you know what? I see who you are. I see what you've done. I know what you're like. And I can give my life to you fully. That's what we'll find this morning. So the context of these verses... um, is that Jesus is, is telling some religious leaders um, uh, uh, some stories. He's giving some pictures as to what God is like. And the reason why Jesus is, is sharing these stories in Luke 15 to these religious leaders is that um, the religious leaders of the day, they had um, confronted Jesus because they were unhappy with the fact that he was hanging around with sinners. He was hanging around with non-religious people. And these religious leaders were, were looking at Jesus and saying, you know, these, these um, lost people, these um, people who do not keep the religious practices that we do, you should, Jesus, you should have nothing to do with them because they're worthless. And in essence, Jesus tells a couple of stories to help us understand that, that not only are these people who don't follow the religious practice, they, they are not just not worthless, but actually they're incredibly precious. And Jesus uses a couple of stories. He talks about a lost coin and a lost sheep. And then we come on to the end of Luke 15 where Jesus personalizes this down and he talks about a lost son. And in all of this, Jesus is speaking to these religious leaders and he's effectively saying, listen, just because you look at these people that don't follow your religious practices and just because they seem to be lost, they are not without value. And actually that God has something incredible to say about their value. And that's what we find in Luke 15. Now, Jesus is telling this story about, about this lost son and a father, not because it's some, some vague concept, but Jesus is speaking as God's son. He's able to, in this story as we read it, he's able to paint a picture for us and the religious leaders of who God really is, not from some sort of distant paradigm or some distant concept, but he can share because he's been with Jesus. He's been with God. He was sent by God. He is God's son. And this is the final story that Jesus brings to personalize and help everyone and us as we read it, understand the nature and the goodness of God. So let's read it, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Then he continued, once there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that will come to me. So he divided up his property between the two of them. Before and very long, the younger son collected all his belongings and went off to a foreign land where he squandered his wealth in the wildest extravagance. When he'd run through all his money, a terrible famine arose in that country and he began to feel the pinch. Then he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs. He got to the point of longing to stuff himself with the food of the pigs were eating and not a soul gave him anything. Listen to this. Then he came to his senses and cried aloud, why dozens of my father's hired men have got more food than they can eat and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've done wrong in in the sight of heaven and in your eyes. I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Please take me back as one of your hired servants. 
hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still some distance off, his father saw him and his heart went out to him. And he ran ran, and he fell on his neck and kissed him. But his son said, Father, I've done wrong in the sight of heaven and in your eyes, and I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. And then the father interrupts him. Hurry, call, uh, called out his father to the servants. Fetch the best clothes and put them on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And get that calf we've been fattening and kill it. And we will have a feast and a celebration. For this is my son. I thought he was dead and he's alive again. I thought I had lost him and he's found. And they began to get the festivities going. This story is a a beautiful story again that Jesus is sharing to depict and help articulate and help us connect with just how good Father God really is. And he helps us by establishing two very clear realities. And the, the first reality is that um, of our position and our lives when we choose our own way. That's what we found in the, in the life of the, the son. He'd chosen to, to go his own way. He chose to leave his father's house and pursue his own life, his own decisions. And in many ways, he chose to assume the position of his own God, the director, the selfish director of his own life. And the second reality that Jesus establishes in this story is the possibility and the promise that we can return home and experience and encounter a restoring, forgiving Father who loves us. And those two realities are, are come colliding together in this story, this story of a, of a son who takes everything from his father and counts him as dead and leaves the father's home and goes to the city and, and spends all of his inheritance and then finds himself starving. And in the moment of, 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 of awareness, he comes to his senses. And maybe it, was the, maybe it was the hunger in his stomach that caused him first to start to come to his senses. But again, what he did is he had a reality of where he was. And what he came to fast realize is that, that the situation and the position he was in was so very different to what he'd experienced in the father's house. What, he's, what he'd found in the father's house was a, a place of love and safety and connection to his father and all of the blessings that came from that, which included the fact that he had food, And yet he'd chosen his own way, his own path, and he'd moved away from his father. And what he'd found is destruction and devastation and hunger, even to the point of near death. And in many ways, it's, it's a reflection, it's a picture, it's a story of our own lives, that we have chosen our own way, that God always planned for us to be with him, in relationship with him, to know the incredible blessings of living in a relationship, fully connected to God, fully connected to a father who loves us. But in choosing our own way, we made ourselves our own God. We choose self over relationship and connection to Father God. And the son had to come to that that coming to his senses moment. He had to come to that place where the stark reality of life with God, life with connected to the Father, and life disconnected to the Father. And they were so polar apart. And I love this story because Jesus is helping us understand the nature 
of a loving father. He's helping us understand that, that, that actually this is, this is the nature of Father God. Because as the son came to his senses, he, he turned from the direction that he was heading, a, a selfish direction, a, a God of his own life, and he turned and he refocused on, on what it was like to be connected to Father and he made that journey home. And we know, as we just read that story, that in the moments when he began to get close to the father's house, the father who was waiting, longing, looking out for his son, spotted him in the distance. And he came running out. And this is the story of God's grace and his mercy to each of us who have wandered away and are lost. That he finds us on that journey back, that all we have to do is turn and recognize, actually, there is connection and relationship with Father God. And in that moment, he comes running out to meet us. This is what we find in this story. A father who ran out, flung his arms around his son. And this wasn't, and again, the son had, had in his mind's eye that he could go back to the father's house and just be a servant. He figured that was a better existence. But again, Father God, his redemptive, restorative purpose was far more than you can just be a servant in my house. And it was you can be fully restored as a son. This is the beauty of Father God. That when we were far off, he came running and he reestablished his relationship. Those things that he did um, when he came out, he said, look, bring some clothes, reclothe my son, put, take, take off his old clothes that resembled the life that he pursued. Living in a field, eating with pigs, take off those dirty clothes, put on new clothes, put a ring on his finger. This is signifying of the restoring of the authority of the father back onto the son. Place new shoes on his feet and let's have a party to celebrate that he's home. This is the beauty of God. That no matter where we've been, what we've done or even what's been done to us, we're never too far away to turn back and say, God, I want relationship with you. And in that moment when our heart even turns and our heart turns back onto that road of, of, of turning back to God, he comes running out. There's something actually really significant that is actually lost um, in this story. And it's a very, it's a very cultural thing that, um, that you may not know about, but I want to tell you about it because there's significance in this story that, um, in a cultural sense. And that is this, that I want to tell you that the father didn't just restore the son, he took on board his shame. Let me tell you why. When the father saw the son, he ran out. And it's an interesting aspect of the culture you may not be aware of, but part of that, relig uh, part of that culture was that if a, if a, um, a person of a, of a village or an area brought shame to his family, he actually brought shame to the whole village. And so what this father was actually doing is he wasn't just running out to his son because he missed him. He was running out to his son to get to him before shame got to him. Let me tell you why. Because there is this, um, this cultural um, um, practice. There is this cultural ceremony called the Kezazar ceremony. And that would mean that this, this village who had been who, who, who had been brought shame upon, what they were able to do is that they were able to um, make a person an outcast of their village. 
an outcast of society, and they were able to hold an individual outside the context of community and hold them outside of that because they brought shame to the community. And this Kazazar ceremony went something like this, that, that, that a person who brought shame to a, a, a region or brought shame to a village, that the people of that village would come out to that person and they would bring out a clay jar and they would shatter that clay jar in front of them. And what it would do is it would symbolise the fracturing, the separation, the disconnect and the brokenness that their shame had brought. It was a symbolic act. And this ceremony would effectively move that person who had brought shame onto the region, it would move them out to the outskirts of society and they weren't even allowed to be part of village life. They weren't, be allowed, they weren't allowed to make a living and, and the, the community, the village, would cause them to be an outcast because of the shame. And that this is what was happening. When the father saw the son, he wanted, he needed to get to his son before the village got to the son because the village would have brought a clay jar and they would have shattered it in front of him and they would have um, marked that boy, marked that man with the shame that he'd caused to the village. And the only way that that shame could be dealt with was if the father got to that son first before the village did. And so as a Middle Eastern man, a middle-aged Middle Eastern man, he would have hiked up his robe. He would have seen his son coming. He would have hiked up his robe, which is highly undignified. And he would have run out, not just because he was passionately in love with his son and wanted restoration, because he needed to get there before the villagers did. And you can imagine him running out there, maybe being even chased by the villagers who would have had the jar clay pot ready to smash and to extricate this boy from the village and from community life. But his son, the father, was, was, was focused on getting to his son so he could bear the shame. And what, is, what the father did in getting there before the village is he said, no, 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 this is my son. And when he placed the new clothes and when he placed the ring on his finger and he placed shoes, he was making a declaration to the whole village that I am taking upon me the shame of what my son has done. And there was this powerful moment, this powerful cultural moment where restoration was happened, not just with the son but, and the father, but actually with the son in his place in society. Because the father was the only one that could take upon himself the shame. And to say, no, 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 this is my restored, this is my, um, this is my reconciled, restored, loved, beloved son. Such that the son could be reestablished and reconnected into society. The father wants to get to you before your shame gets to you. Maybe that's some of you in here. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you thought, you know, I'm just the author of my own life. I'm going in, in my own direction. I'm doing my own thing. But ultimately, you would, on a, on a sober moment, you would look at your life and go, you know, there's some things that I'm not so proud of. There's some things that I'm not so happy about. There's some things that have happened to me or things that I've done that I'm shameful about. And this story speaks to your journey speaks to your story and says, you know what, any shame you might feel, that there's a father who will meet you on a road. He'll come running out to you. He will take the shame, any guilt and shame and sin that you would own in your life. And he would say, I deal with that. I reconcile that. I make it right. And I make our relationship right. And that's the beauty of Father God. 
that no matter where you've been, what you've done, or even what's been done to you, his grace and his mercy can meet you on the road of your own life. And so as we, as we know, when Jesus was painting this story, Jesus was actually the one that made the way for us to experience the grace and the mercy of God. We know that in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world, the Father, God so loved the world, He so loved you, that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Him, whoever looks upon what Jesus did, His life, His death, and His resurrection, whoever believes in Him can be reconciled to Father God. This is the beauty, the good news, the gospel. That no matter what road we feel like we're on in life, if we can turn our hearts back to God, we can look at what Jesus has done for us, for me, that it means that a father comes running out to meet me, to wrap me extravagantly in his love and bring me home. This is the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus loves you. The Father, God, loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And in this moment, as you would turn your heart again to say, I'm not going to pursue my own life, my own decisions, that actually I want to turn my heart and be reconnected to a God who created the heavens and the earth and wants a relationship with me. As I turn my heart back to him, I know that he comes running and he covers my shame and he covers my guilt and he restores me fully back into relationship with him. And this is the beautiful good news. And this is the person, this is the God, this is the Father that this morning a numbers of families have dedicated their lives to again. This is the, the Father, God, who, who the guys today have, have been baptized as they make a commitment to follow him, to be fully in relationship with him. And I don't know where you're at in your journey with God. Maybe you come here and you, you're a guest with us and you, you've come with somebody this morning and you, you're asking questions. I just want to encourage you that, that part of asking those questions is, is potentially turning your heart to encounter a God that loves you. He's always loved you. And no matter where you're at in your life journey, to turn your heart back to him, what you find is a loving father a loving God who takes all of that shame, all of that sin, all of the guilt and he washes it completely clean. And so I, this morning I, I want to pray for you and pray for us no matter where you're at in that journey. So why don't you stand with me?